We've been exploring in his own words through the Gospel of John, what are the statements Jesus makes about himself? And we explored the seven statements that he makes, all that were, if you listened or if you were here, you saw that there was some connection with the Old Testament about who Jesus says he is and why it really mattered. And so as we explored the statements like he is the resurrection and the life, or he is the good shepherd, or he is the gate, we were seeing more and more a picture of who Jesus is and why that matters. And what should maybe happen, or like for some of us would have happened, is you might start asking the question, well, if this is who Jesus says he is, what does that make me? If Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life, what does that mean to me? How does that affect me? If Jesus says that he is the vine and I am the branches, what does that mean? And so this morning, we're going to kind of cap off this series. We're, we're ending it today, looking at who are you based on who Jesus says he is. And we're not going to look at Jesus' words, though Jesus does have some very significant and important words to say about you as a person. We're going to look at what the early church needed to understand and wrestled with and struggled with to understand. We're going to look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to a church so that they could try and grasp the significance of Jesus saying, I am, and what that might mean for their daily life. And it's not going to be maybe easy for us to fully grasp. It wasn't easy for the early church to grasp. But thankfully, we have a written document, a letter, to try and give us insight or give us ideas about what it means that Jesus is who he said he is. And what it means that his death and resurrection was a real event that could change our life forever. So we're going to jump into something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. But before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you uh, do invite us to be here this morning, whether it's online or in person, uh, or later on in the week, to see who you say we are. As we just sang in that song, uh, we are chosen, we're not forsaken. You, we are who you say we are. And I pray that we come to know that more and more and the significance of that, what that means about being who you say we are. And this morning as we explore what you inspired Paul to write so long ago to people just like us who are wrestling with some of the same stuff we are today, I pray that our minds and our hearts are just open, Holy Spirit, to what you have for us and that we can hear from you, God, in the way we need to hear from you this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In your Bible, we have two letters to this church in Corinth. This church in Corinth was uh, kind of like a prototypical society of their day that had a lot in common with us, if we can look back at them in some ways. While there's two letters in our Bible, there was probably three letters in all that got circulated from Paul, and they were all working to address concerns or questions that these early followers of Jesus were trying to figure out. They lived in a world that wasn't really welcoming to their beliefs. It wasn't really encouraging of what they believed. So they were trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't follow Jesus. For some of us today, we should be asking that same question. 
If we are following Jesus, what does it mean for how we live, how we act, what we do in a society that's not really geared around that same belief system? And so I find the letters to the Corinthian church incredibly helpful for us because it helps to give us insight into what it was like for them, and maybe there's some things we could learn about what it could be like for us. So in Paul's second letter that we have to the Corinthian church, he was writing to them, and one of the concerns that they had was about Paul himself. They found that Paul, he just acted, he spoke, he behaved in a certain way that they found strange. He was speaking and teaching them things, and they couldn't really grasp it because it was a different than what they would hear maybe out on the street or in their own schooling or in their own exploring of spiritual beliefs. And so when Paul would share with them the significance of who Jesus is and how their life should be different, they really struggled with it. And it comes to a point in his letter, second letter to the Corinthian church, in chapter 5, he says this. He says, Since then, verse 11, We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is at the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some of it is, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul is writing to these people who are wrestling with what they hear about him and what they think about. And he says to them, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, commend myself to you, but he's trying to get them to understand why he speaks, why he shares the story of Jesus in the way he does. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, you know that a lot of the time Paul is saying, hey, this is the way you behave that might not be lined up with what Jesus taught us. And maybe you need to behave differently. And this was a real struggle for this early community of people trying to follow Jesus. Because the way they behaved made complete sense in the society they found themselves in. It's what everybody was doing. But Paul was saying Jesus has a different way. And because Jesus has a different way, we need to take seriously his way. As he points out in this opening section that I read... He's doing this because of Christ. He's not trying to just tell them, oh, you're wrong, you're horrible people, what's wrong with you? He's trying to help them understand that Jesus died and rose again for them, for the forgiveness of their sins, but also for an opportunity of a new life. As Jesus says in John 10.10, he came to give us life in all of its fullness. And Paul had this understanding that life in its fullness wasn't the way the world was going in the day. And it still isn't the way the world is going in this day. And so as he is writing to this church, he's trying to help them understand that just because it's easy, just because everybody else is doing it, doesn't mean that's the best way or God's way. And that 
because Paul has this conviction, because he knows the truth about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he needs to help them understand it too, because he knows the difference it can make. And so as Paul is writing this, he is challenging them to their core. In the same way, I think if we really read the letters that Paul wrote, we would be challenged in our core too. Because he says some stuff that doesn't always make sense with maybe what we think should be. And we have to be challenged by it and allow God to speak in it. So he continues with this statement in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. If you're reading from a different translation, it might say something along the lines as we no longer regard someone in the flesh. The word that gets used for worldly is a Greek word sarx, which is translated to flesh sometimes. It basically means the way of the world. It means a way that is different than God's design, what's different than what Scripture teaches. And so Paul is saying we don't look at people the way the world looks at people. In fact, we used to look at Jesus the way the world looks at people. But we don't anymore. If you are someone who follows Jesus, you know this to be true. You probably had moments in your life where you've questioned, where you've doubted. Even if you do follow Jesus, there's a good chance there are lots of moments where those questions and doubts are very real for you. And so in your doubt and your questioning, for some of us, we go, okay, well, that can't be true. We can't believe this. But then we have an experience. Something happens. Maybe it's a conversation with someone we know where it all just kind of makes sense. Maybe it's just a moment where we, we take a risk and we pray. And we go, wow, Jesus is who he says he is. And then our perspective on him completely changes. We don't maybe have the same doubts. Maybe we have new ones. But we have a trust and a belief in him. And so when we have these experiences... We no longer view Jesus the way we did before. And so as Paul is writing to this church, he's saying it's the same way with you. You used to think of Jesus very differently. They are in a Greek community, so very influenced by the philosophies of the day, different belief systems. And so they would look at Jesus as just you know another teacher or something like that at best. At worst, they would probably call him a lunatic and dismiss him. Yet for some reason, these people came to know the truth about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and how it could change their lives. And so they no longer viewed Jesus the way they used to. And Paul says, not only that, stop looking at people the way you used to look at people. Stop looking at people the way society looks at people. For his context, for his culture in in the Corinthian church, people... They were as good as they were useful to you. So as long as somebody does something for you, or you can get something from them, or they have a certain status in society, you value that person. And if you don't see what they can do for you, or they don't have that status, they're not that valuable to you. Paul says, stop looking at people this way. Stop looking at people as commodities. Stop looking at people as less than people. That was a worldly way of looking at people. He continues, he says, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As Paul says to stop looking at other people the way the world looks at other people, he's also saying stop looking at yourself the way the world looks at you. You are, in Christ, a new creation. The old way is gone. The new way is here. Paul is trying to help this early church and help us to understand that because of who Jesus is, because what Jesus did through his death and resurrection on the cross, you're not everything you were. You're not your mistakes. You're not that experience you had in grade three where you accidentally called your teacher mom and you were embarrassed for a really long time because we've all had that experience. And somehow when you're 40, 50, 60, you still remember it at night and go, why was I so dumb? You're not your bigger mistakes of when you lied, you cheated, you stole, when you hurt people that you loved. You're also not your accomplishments, the degrees you earn, the promotions you get, they are not all that define you. Paul says if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. A worldly way to see things, a worldly way to see other people, to see ourselves, is that you are your accomplishments, you are your mistakes. That mistake you made in grade four, we can never let it go. But that's not the way of Jesus. When we are in Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. You're not defined by your success or your failure. You're defined by the one who died and rose again. You are new in him. So as Paul is writing to this early church community who is wrestling with like who should we be friends with because we want to look good in public who should we meals with because you know we should eat with the rich so people know how important we are he's saying none of that matters that's not the way of jesus the way of jesus is that the old way is gone and there's a new way his way and the one who says that he is the resurrection and the life when we choose to live his way We follow him as the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he leads us in a way that brings life and fullness. But it's not always the way that makes sense with our experience in the world. As Paul says, we have to put away this worldly point of view. 
being a new creations, creation changes how we see things. When you are a new creation, you see things differently. You just see differently. You see Christ differently, as Paul says. As Paul says, you once regarded Christ in a worldly point of view. And what he's saying there is that it would make complete sense for someone who doesn't follow Jesus, doesn't believe in Jesus, to just dismiss him. What he's saying there is that he understands that there are certain things that are written in the Old Testament, like in Deuteronomy. When it talks about in Deuteronomy 21 that when someone is dead on a tree, they are cursed. So the imagery of crucifixion is a curse. And so it would be understandable if you viewed Jesus like he was cursed because he was crucified. But the truth is he rose again. And because he rose again, you don't see him as someone who was cursed. You see Christ differently because you're new in him. And so when you see Christ, you don't see him neither as someone who is just a taskmaster, someone who is saying, like, you got to do this, you got to do that, and this is all that matters. But rather, you see Jesus as Jesus wants to be seen. As he says in John 15, when he says, I used to view you as a servant, but now I view you as a friend. You are a friend of God when you are a new creation. You see Christ differently. You should see people differently. We shouldn't see people as something to be bought and sold figuratively and literally. People as a commodity or an expense. People as something to be consumed. People to be used to either further yourself or to push them down. When we see people as anything less than people, we are not seeing what God sees. We're not living as new creations. In the book of Genesis, when we get the story of creation, it says that God created human beings in his own image. Because people are created in the image of God, they are intrinsically valuable. Every single person, no matter where they're from or what they've done, every person is valuable and made in God's image. And because of that, we should see them as such. See people not as their mistakes, not as their successes, but as something so much more made in the image of God. And we should see ourselves differently. as we once regard ourselves just by what we succeed or what we fail at, as we once look at ourselves just by who wants to be around us, maybe, or how good we do in a certain area of life. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus says that your success and your failure, they shape you, but they don't define you. You are not your worst mistake. You are not your greatest success. When you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. We should see the world differently. As Paul says, we no longer view each other in a worldly 
perspective. We have to think, well, what is a worldly perspective? How do we see the world that we're in? For a lot of us, we just embrace the way of things. Some things are good, some things are not, and sometimes we don't take the time to discern which is which. Not everything that is good in society is good in the way and understanding of the way of Jesus. How do we know which is which? We pray, we reflect, we allow God to speak through Scripture, and we discern, are we seeing the world just like everybody else? Do we just embrace it all? Or do we see stuff differently? That the way of Jesus is different. And if the way of Jesus brings life, we are to follow that. We also see our purpose differently. Paul says that being a new creation means you are reconciled to God, means God has made things right between you and him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That because of who Jesus is, not just who he said he was, but who we know him to be because of his actions, his death, and his resurrection, you are made right with God. There's no barrier between you and God. And because of that, he's saying you should desire. He's imploring people to be reconciled. He says you should be agents of reconciliation. Other translations will say ambassadors of reconciliation. People who share of the goodness of God in their lives, who share of the difference Jesus has made in their life. And because Jesus has made a difference, you live and you act and you speak in such a way that you want others to know because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Our purpose may have been to have worldly success or just to avoid failure or look for approval or all kinds of different things. But when we are a new creation, our identity is not found in those things, but it is found in Jesus. And because it's found in Jesus, we want others to know that hope, that joy, that life that he provides. When you're a new creation, everything is different. It is hard sometimes to embrace that. But it's the invitation of Easter. It's the invitation of recognizing that Jesus has died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins, for the hope of the world. It's the invitation to be people who are defined not by their failures or their successes, or about what other people think of them, but by the God who created them and the one who redeemed them on the cross. That's the invitation. When we know who Jesus is, we can begin to know who we are. And you are new. You're not who you were. You're not what other people think of you. You are something so much more in Christ. I pray you know that. And I pray you not just know that, but you live it for the rest of your days 
embracing the newness that Jesus offers and living it in such a way that others desire it as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who makes old things new. Not old as an age, but as in a different thought, as a different way. You bring newness to it. You bring newness to us and to this world. That, Jesus, you've invited us to be these new creations in a world that's the old way. That you invite us to live and to reflect you and the hope you offer to our friends, to our family, to our school, to our work, to our church, to our neighborhood, to everyone we meet. Demonstrating to them that we, to other people, that we value them not because of anything they offer us, but just because they are made in your image, God. And that we express our love for you and our love for each other. Jesus, I am so glad that you call me friend. I am so glad that you call all of us friend if we want to be called friend. And that as your friend, we can live lives that reflect your goodness to others. I pray this morning that we just open our minds and our hearts to what it is you invite us to be like, who it is you invite us to be. That we're not our success or our failures, but we are your children, God. And as your children, we are made new in Christ. And no matter how far we may feel from you, that invitation is always open, and we can always go to you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.